With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every Every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast, brought to you by Over the Monster and our wonderful podcast network. I am your host for this week, Keaton DeRocher. My co-host for this week is Matt Collins. Hopefully you guys have uh, picked up on what a rotation is, because I think we're still confused about it. We just kind of show up when we're told. So that's kind of how we're doing doing this. Yeah, I, Matt, how are I, you? If, if people have figured out this rotation, um, they are absolute geniuses. <laughs> I, I have no idea what's going on with this rotation. No, neither do I. But that's why I just show up when I'm told. I just kind of wait it out. Alrighty. Um, well, I believe it was Matt and Jake did a little bit of a um, emergency Cora pod last week. Um, so we will talk a little bit more about Cora returning as manager of the Red Sox. Then the rest of this podcast is just going to be spent talking about the Red Sox and their pitching because um, there's a lot to discuss. Uh, diving, yeah, diving right on in. Uh, I guess do you just want to summarize real quick what you and uh, Jake talked about and your thoughts on how it's kind of set in over the over a weekend. 
on what you're feeling about Quora coming back. Yeah, so I mean, I think Jake and I felt fairly differently about it, which probably wasn't much of a surprise. Um, I think I'm probably in the minority in that I'm not thrilled. Um, I kind of explained it a little bit on that podcast, and still, it's still a little bit hard to articulate, but it's mostly just, I mean, all these things happen on a spectrum, and all of our reactions sort of happen on a spectrum, and my spectrum of the feelings for hiring Cora back are more towards the negative, but they're not nearly as negative as, say, trading Mookie Betts at his prime or letting Don Arcillo <laughs> go because you're too cheap to pay an announcer. So, I mean, it's it's disappointing. I still I think it's probably more of a Major League Baseball issue than a Red Sox issue. The fact that Cora and A.J. Hinch both got jobs right away, um, I was kind of hoping. I didn't want them banned for life or anything, but I was kind of hoping they would have to work their way back up. They wouldn't just be handed um, jobs. And I mean, also there's a problem in baseball and it kind of feels like all sports, but we're just talking about baseball where um, these coaches and these managers just get recycled through different jobs and nobody ever kind of gets a chance. So I was looking forward to the Red Sox, maybe taking a chance on a new guy. Um, Obviously they did that once with Cora and it worked out well, but uh, you know, they won with Cora, and we talked a lot about the positives and his the way he connects with the players, and that's all very real. I wrote about it a little bit today, how it might um, help them lock up guys like Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts and Eduardo Rodriguez, health-depending to long-term deals. So, I mean, there's, there's plenty of good. It's just um, my feelings are mostly just tied back to 2017 and just wanting to kind of not be part of that. Tomorrow, the Red Sox will have their official um, rehiring presser. And I have to imagine that at the top of the list of questions that reporters are going to ask is kind of basically why. What was his reasoning and how much of um, the reason why he was away from baseball for a year is going to hang over Cora and this team. Um, Do you think that has the potential to be a distraction for the Red Sox in 2021? I mean, I don't. I don't ever really buy into the distraction stuff just generally, um, especially with this Red Sox team. Not to put this team on a pedestal or anything. Obviously, that is not deserved. But I mean, this also, <laughs> this isn't a group of like 21 year old kids making their debut all at the same time. I mean, these guys have been around the block, these are veterans. Um, they have core is back in a way that I think would help on that front so uh, I think tomorrow or today when you're listening to this the press conference is going to be really interesting uh, mostly because Cora hasn't really spoken much at all since the suspension um, he's might have he might have done an interview or two but he really hasn't said anything so I mean I, on that front I think it's gonna be interesting but looking ahead to next season, Sure, there's going to be some questions about it, and people are going to have to talk about it a little bit. But I don't think, I don't think it's going to be a distraction. Plus, I mean, who the hell knows what's going to be going on in the world by the time they're playing baseball in 2021? I mean, there's there's a million distractions out there at this point. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good point. <laughs> um, I always thought through this process that um, Bloom, I mean, inherited Cora, um, wasn't his direct hire. So I assumed that through the offseason now with actual time to, you know, put in a thorough managerial shirt search, I assumed that Bloom would kind of 
go at his own pace and take his own process here. Um, Cora, I expected to be a part of that, but I wasn't fully sold on uh, Cora coming back um, just because I assumed that Bloom would want his own guy. And then when it came down to Sam Fold or Alex Cora, and then ultimately Cora was hired, I'm, uh, I guess I, I believe less now that it was Bloom's decision and more ownership's decision. Do you have the same feeling about this hire? Do you think that it was ownership bringing Cora back after a year and that was something that they may have been you know, unspoken in their agreement to part ways a year ago? No, I don't think it's anything so nefarious. Um, I don't. I think if Bloom didn't want to hire him, he wouldn't have been hired. Um, I certainly think ownership wanted to bring him back. I don't think there's any secrets about how close this ownership group is to Cora and um, how much they respect him, and that respect kind of goes both ways, and that certainly played a part. I'm sure ownership was talking up Cora as much as possible. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is... Modern baseball is... The organization is built around the GM or I mean, whatever the hell. Everybody has a different title. Bloom is, what, chief baseball officer or whatever? So whatever you want to call him, that, that's the sort of the nexus of the organization. And so they're not going to... I just can't see this ownership group like forcing this down Bloom's throat. Um, I think this was... A legitimate search. I think Bloom was considering other options. I think ownership, certain, like I said, certainly topped up Cora. But at the end of the day, I think this Bloom, if Bloom wasn't okay with it, it wouldn't have happened. I think I agree with that, ultimately. But was uh, not surprised that a guy like Sam Fold was in consideration, um, given their ties to Tampa and Sam Fold's uh, potential as a manager. And... Uh, Fun fact, I actually have uh, Sam Fultz autograph from when he played for the Katua Kettleers on the Cape League, so that would have been nice. <laughs> Could have sold that for some big bucks. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, some bench coaches um, openings. There's a couple. The Red Sox, um, it was kind of a roundup from a few weeks ago, didn't really make a whole lot of changes to uh, the coaching staff. There are a couple openings, though. Do you have any thoughts or ideas on who might fill those last remaining gaps? Well, so they have two holes, if I'm remembering correctly. They have bench coach and the bullpen coach. Um, I, I'm not going to even pretend like I have a semblance of a idea of who would be the bullpen coach. Um, it could be you. I don't know. Um, <laughs> for bench it. coach, I do have some thoughts. I wrote about this over the weekend. Um, just a few names. I think a lot of people are pointing to Fold as a possible candidate. I don't really see that happening. Um, I think it's probably going to be an in-house guy and promotion. Um, I think Ron Renicky is a very real possibility. Um, he sort of intimated earlier in the season that he would only come back in a non-managerial role basically if he was Cora's bench coach so I don't I don't think it's a sure thing or anything but I wouldn't be surprised um, and then some other names I think Carlos Fables is probably my favorite candidate um, Ramon Vasquez who is sort of a conduit between the front office and the dugout um, his name's been thrown out here. That would be interesting. Uh, Jason Veritek's a name that's always going to get thrown out there. Um, I'm assuming people are going to 
push real hard for Dustin Pedroia. That one's a little absurd, but people will call for it. Uh, Christian Vasquez uh, suggested Carlos Beltran, which would <laughs> honestly at this point just do it. Sure, why not? It would, that would be wild. I don't, I don't think that would actually happen. But yeah, Christian, this was a few weeks ago, and somebody asked uh, Vasquez about. Alex Corey said, yeah, he should come back. And also, I would like to see Carlos Beltran as the bench coach. So. Interesting. Okay. But yeah, I think I think Fabulous uh, would be my personal favorite of that group. All right. Well, that does it for our coaching staff portion of this. Now let's dive on into the pitching. Um, to kick it off, we had a report from... Uh, now I don't remember who it was. Uh, uh, that Morosi. the uh, Morosi. There we go. That the Red Sox have interest in free agent Matt Schumacher, who uh, pitched for the Blue Jays last year. Uh, he has a career 3.86 ERA. Um, he's known for more control than strikeouts. Uh, last season in 28 innings in 2020, he had a 4.71 ERA. Uh, the season before it, in uh, five starts, had a 1.57 ERA, but uh, has typically been kind of more more average to below average than better than that. Uh, but this does kind of fit the type of pitcher the Red Sox have been targeting, um, taking chances on a, uh, a youngster like Pavetta or uh, their addition of Martin Perez, Zach Godley. This kind of just fits that profile of guys that they're just recycling through. Um uh, 34 years old, uh, just turned 34 years old in September, so we'll be 34 for um, just about all of the 2021 season. What are your thoughts on the possibility of Matt Schumacher? I mean, it's hard. When when I uh, first put out the post just kind of saying that this rumor was out there, uh, the reaction was sort of like people being upset and stuff that it wasn't like a bigger name and i get that but i mean this stuff it's kind of hard to know this stuff happens out of order so like if it's i hate that his name is schumacher by the way i'm just not i'm gonna call him shoemaker it's just the way that it is i can't help myself but if he if he is the top pitcher that they bring in this offseason or someone of his ilk then yeah obviously that's a disaster and they should be criticized to the ends of the earth um, but I mean, presumably they're not targeting him with that in mind. Presumably he's sort of a Martin Perez replacement, I guess. Just like the guy that would come in and be the fourth or fifth starter. And in that case, I don't mind it. Um, I mean, I think Schumacher is better than Perez when he's healthy. The results haven't always been there, but he's been a solid strikeout guy, solid control guy. He's just like been solid across the board. His issue has been staying on the mound. I mean, he's just been, he's had brutal injury luck the last few years. He missed a bunch of time this year or missed about a month this year with the shoulder thing. Uh, he tore his ACL in 2019. I uh, had a forearm injury in 2018. So he started um, 18 games combined over the last three years. That is a little troubling, but assuming that they're just going to bring in a whole mess of pitchers, him being one of them, presumably for like a four or five million dollar deal for one year, it's not really something I can get too worked up over. 
yeah, pitched a career high 160 innings in 2016 and hasn't gone uh, really close to 100 innings since. Um, were you a little surprised that the Red Sox, um, kind of tying these these together, declined the option on Martin Perez, and do you think there's a chance that they still bring him back at a lesser value? Um, I, I don't. I guess I wasn't. I was a little surprised when it happened, but just the timing of it was sort of as all of these other options were getting declined and guys were being put on waivers that never should have been put on waivers. And it was just, it was sort of this wave of realizing just how bad this off season is going to be for players. So, I mean, in the context of what we now see the market as, it's not that surprising, but at the time it was, um, so your second question. Yeah. I don't see why it wouldn't be a possibility. I don't think, I don't think like he's, you have to get Martin Perez back. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still Martin Perez. They could find another Martin Perez. Um, but I mean, I think they seem to like him. He seemed to get along with the players in the clubhouse. He seemed to like it in Boston. So I'm sure they'll talk. And if there's a deal there, uh, they'll make it happen. But, um, yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's Matt Shoemaker just a little worse and healthier. Yeah. It feels like, yeah, I, I had the same reaction. I didn't feel like, Six point two five million was a lot, but I guess if the owners are really going to claim to be as broke as they're claiming to be, and this off is going to be as worse than we think, um, then six million would be overpaying for a guy like Perez. Um, I mean, nobody wanted though, nobody wanted Brad Hand for what was yeah. it ten million? Um, and I mean, so that was that was sort of the wake up call that yeah, this off is going to be bad. Yep. Um, any other starting pitching targets? So I guess we can probably tie that into the next segment too, if you have um, particular names. So let's just do that. Um, so expanding on our roundtable from last week, which was how uh, what should the net gain slash loss be uh, for Red Sox pitchers? Um, I'm going to expand on my uh, response. My response is pretty pointed, and just that. Um. I assumed the net gain would be zero. I thought the number of pitchers that they had on the roster were fine. It was just the quality of them. Uh, they need to drop the dead weight and sign major league caliber pitchers, which was essentially what you, the same response that you had. Um, and the guys that they bring on, they should be on major league contracts and major league caliber pitchers. So I'll let you um, kind of tee yours up and then I'll piggyback off that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, I went, so I had gone through the markets at every position, and in those posts, I was kind of looking at what the Red Sox needed. And when I got to the two um, pitching ones, the starters and the relievers, I decided that they need at least two more starters, at least two more relievers, and then three like depth guys. But those can be the last three can be on like minor league deals with spring training options or whatever. But I I think they definitely need at least two good like legitimate major league starters and two good legitimate major league relievers. One of those relievers should be um, the best bullpen or best reliever in the bullpen. But yeah, so I mean I think on major league deals they need a, I would say they need at least four 
new guys and then uh i would add at least three more on like i said spring training invite minor league type deals yeah i made my more specific notes before i read everybody else's responses um just so that i wasn't stealing anybody's uh, any other ideas that had already been kind of posted but uh, a lot of people actually came to the same conclusion um i agree two starters at least uh and two bullpen arms and high leverage bullpen arms uh right now as it sits going into opening day so we know that chris sale will eventually come back but going into opening day the red sox starting rotation as it stands now on uh november 9th is uh Eduardo Rodriguez, Nathan Valdi, Nick Pavetta, Tanner Houck, and Chris Mazza. You got to add two to that Ugh. to start the season. That's just hey, you don't bad. even know what Eduardo Rodriguez is. I'm still not at all convinced he's going to be part of the opening day rotation. I think you, I think you have to include him in an exercise like this because we have no idea. But yeah, that's a total question mark. Yep, and um, Pavetta is basically kind of in there just due to there isn't anybody else. And I don't think we're entirely sold on... I mean, Tanner Houck had a great three starts. Um, going into next year, it will be the most innings he's ever pitched, and there's still questions about whether or not he's a reliever or not. And then Chris Mazza uh, doesn't need to be there, should not be there. Um, the bullpen, as far as I'm concerned, has like three and a half names that I feel okay with. Barnes, Hernandez, Valdez, and like... I guess I could be talked into Brazier pretty easily, but after that, the bottom four are Bryce Taylor, Brewer, and Weber. I don't really care about any of those. Those can just wow. all be replaced. I think I'm higher on the. I think I'm higher on the bullpen than maybe anybody else. Um, yeah, see some potential there. I I mean, everyone knows my feelings on Barnes. I'm still in on Barnes. Um, definitely don't want him as the best reliever in the bullpen. That is totally miscasting yep. him, but I think he's good. Um, I think Ryan Brazier is the second best reliever in this bullpen. I think Brazier is really solid. Um, he looked good for most of this year. I think his numbers don't really do him justice. Uh, Darwinson, I actually might be a little bit lower on him than some people, but I mean, the upside is still there. Uh, Josh Taylor, I'm kind of just throwing out what happened with him this year. He, um, he had COVID. He barely pitched, uh, but he was really good a couple years ago, so I'm willing to give him another chance. Valdez, I'm not totally sold on, but I think he's solid. So, I mean, I think those five, right? Those, yeah, those five are a solid yeah. base. I want to add, I would definitely add one guy to the top of that list, make, get, like I said, to get a new top arm, and then I would add somebody else. Um, but I don't think it has to be, I don't think it has to be like two top tier guys. I think you definitely need one, but then I think you can roll with those other five, add another guy around that same caliber, like a sixth or seventh inning guy. And then you can kind of roll with depth. I, I, I still kind of like Bryce. I still kind of like Brewer. Uh, Weber was sort of interesting in early for a while, although I don't actually think that's going to happen. Um, and then they have guys coming up so i think i think there's a base there for a good bullpen but i will also say i've been relatively high on this bullpen for a couple years now and it has never worked out so maybe i'm just (laughs) wearing some rose-colored glasses with this unit i also think yeah i mean we have definitely some different dynamics i think i might be the lowest of our crew here on the bullpen and i've been really critical of them for the past uh two plus years now um so i i think You've talked me into Brazier. I'm fine with that. Taylor, I'm just not so sold on. But you're right. He did have a good 
2019. So maybe those bottom three, Bryce Brewer, Weber, get tossed out and then come back. I see. I don't. I don't think you need to add two like closer caliber. One should, like you said, be the best reliever in the bullpen. But I think you still need to add another high leverage guy. Like the game's tied in the eighth. You don't feel nervous with him taking the mound. Maybe not necessarily a closer or like a closer in waiting or like a replacement for that, but somebody who you wouldn't hesitate to go to in a tie game or up one, down one late in the game. Um, I think they need two of those guys. Yeah, so I guess I would say just in the context of where they're at now, I would say they need the second guy should probably be of the same ilk as Brazier and Hernandez, so like a third or fourth best arm in a good bullpen. Or in a solid bullpen. Okay. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And then for the starters, so we both agree that we think they should add two. Did you have any specific names in mind? Like I know a couple people in the round table like Shelly had specific names in mind that she would be looking to add. Um, did you have any in mind or kind of the, are you just expecting them to backfill it with guys like Perez, Pavetta, um, Godly guys that are definitely fourth fifth options that you expect to just eat innings or did you have anyone specific in like the free agent market or trade uh i mean i don't have anybody i have some names that i like i don't know anybody that i'm that i think they'll go after i certainly think that they're gonna go after somebody better than like a perez or schumacher um i like i think i think they're gonna get a legitimate starter i don't don't think they're gonna go trevor bauer that would surprise me but um i think Corey kluber is a guy that a lot of people, um, a lot of teams are going to have interest in. A lot of Red Sox fans have um, sort of made him as their top target. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I've always been a massive Masahiro Tanaka guy. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily likely, um, but I would like to see it. Uh, a guy like James Paxton, another former Yankee, uh, coming off an injury, you could probably get him on a little bit of a buy low. Uh, so I sort of think that, tier of not aces but solid like threes i think that's where they're gonna look for their top target and i also i mean the trade market could be interesting too it's just the trade i don't know i it i feel like it's gonna be a slow trade market which doesn't really work in the red sox favor obviously just because the no minor league season makes things very strange it does it sure does um, where do you sit with Pavetta? 
uh, I've been pretty vocal about him in the the past couple seasons on our uh, fantasy podcast that we do with the Dynasty Guru about just completely avoiding him. I know that a lot of people tend to buy in, and there's going to be some folks that buy into uh, how he ended this year. Um, I mean, are you just kind of uh, low risk, high reward evaluation on him, or do you do you think they've got something that they've unlocked with Pavetta? I'm a little higher than I was when they first got him. Um, but I mean, that's coming up from a point of like, I was in a valley when they first acquired him. <laughs> so there's nowhere to go, but up, but I mean, my, yeah. the way I see my sort of perfect off season or whatever you want to call it, um, working out would end up with four clear options and then a fifth, spot going to a battle between Hulk and Pavetta and a couple of guys that they signed to minor league deals. So, I mean, I, I don't mind putting Pavetta in a spot where he can go and win himself an opening day rotation spot. I'm open to that possibility, but I certainly don't want to be in a position where you're handing him a spot. Yeah, which right now, unfortunately, they are. Yeah, I mean, right now, you can make an argument that he would be the number two. I was going to say number two. That's probably pushing it. Number three, if you don't know what you're getting from Rodriguez, you probably can't put him above Hulk, but... Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised that's... if he was in the opening day rotation and Hulk was not, though. Really? So do you think Hulk um, can make it as a starter? Uh, or do you think that he is kind of desperate for the bullpen and that's where he'll start? I'm certainly I'm much more optimistic about Hulk than I was, and when I said that about Hulk being over Pavetta, that wasn't really so much about Pavetta being better, as uh, Hulk still having some things to work on. He also has options Pavetta doesn't, uh, which plays into it. Yeah, but I mean for Hulk long term, the key is what it's been. Um, it's figuring out a way to get lefties. So obviously, the easiest way to do that, the way that pitchers generally approach that, is trying to find that off-speed pitch. P- uh, Pavetta, um, Hulk. I should say, uh, started throwing the splitter last year. We didn't see it in the majors. I think he threw like eight of them all year. So that's still something he has to prove, but he also showed that slider, um, started throwing it to the back feet of lefties like Chris Sale does to righties. And I mean, that's so hard to thread that needle and do it all the time. But if somehow you can do that, then all of a sudden he doesn't need that off-speed pitch. So that just opens the door a little bit. Um, before I saw him pitch so well in the majors, I was probably like 75% chance he's going to end up in the bullpen. Now I'm 50-50, maybe even a little more towards him starting um, long-term, but he's... I I would feel comfortable if he got a chance to go to, um, not Pawtucket to Worcester, uh, to start next season. Assuming there's minor league baseball, which we have no idea. Yeah, will be. yeah. I think I feel the exact same. Um, I was more um, leaning far more towards him being a bullpen arm until he had success at the major league level this year, which was incredibly impressive against. If memory serves, it was the Yankees, the Braves, and the Rays, which were three of the last four teams left this year. Um, Those are good, good, strong lineups, and for him to come in and mow them down and and dominate them the way he did was really uh, impressive. The Marlins, not the Rays, but still Marlins. No, same state. Close enough. Um, That's right. But I, after seeing that, 
um, you know, it was only three starts, but they were just so impressive that um, if he can hold his stuff like deep into a season now and kind of manage like 160, 180 innings now, and I, I feel real great about his chances and uh, sticking in the rotation for long term, and I would feel comfortable with him being there, which um, I don't necessarily feel that way with a lot of other people in the rotation. So, um, looking up there for him, bright skies ahead. Yeah, I mean, this rotation um, is just just looking at it on paper, man. There's so there's not. There's nobody you feel good about. And I love Nathan Avaldi, but just the injury history, you really can't feel good about that. And then it's, nope. like I said, with Rodriguez, nobody has any idea how, uh, yeah, they need, two seems like an understatement. Not great. <laughs> it, it might. You might be right. Because uh, they're definitely going to need the depth. So they might need more than that. Um, any other final thoughts here on the pitching before we move on to some listener questions? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I really wish that Stroman and or, um, Gossman hadn't gotten the qualifying offer. Um, cause I like both of them, but not enough to give up a draft pick. And I felt like those guys were like the perfect top target without the qualifying offer. So that kind of throws an entire wrench into like who they can target. I'm actually surprised. Well, actually, I guess the Mets, not so much, but um, was it like 18.3? seems like a lot for 18.9. I was surprised by both of them. Nobody, it seems like nobody was really that surprised about Stroman. I was really surprised by that, but um. Yeah, the Gaussman, the Gaussman one really threw me. That one, the Mets one, I wasn't surprised by. If the new ownership is serious about spending money, and um, Stroman is a guy that, for I mean, he's he's had his injury issues, but for the most part, um, it's a pretty good pitcher when he's on the mound. Uh, and the Mets issue has been just the health of their starting pitching. So that one, I guess, I wasn't super shocked by. Eighteen point nine still probably feels heavy for Stroman, but. So Not one super year, surprised I mean, yeah. on that one, but Gaussman, that, that one did surprise me. Yeah. Stroman was probably my number one, would have been my number one target for the Red Sox this offseason. So, yeah, that, that, that kind of bummed me out. Um, I mean, I think there's other interesting names lower down. Um, I think John Lester is probably the one we're going to hear about the most. Um, that makes sense. I mean, that would be fun. Obviously, like, the Perez's and the Shoemakers, I don't want Lester to be their top acquisition, but, I mean, I certainly wouldn't be complaining if Lester got to end his career back in Boston. Yeah. I'm not really sold on him being that helpful at this point, but whatever. They're probably going to be bad, so you might as well have John Lester, though. Also a fun thing um, that he was doing was picking up the tab um, for whoever bought, I think it was, like, Coors Lights here at like three different bars in Chicago and then like I think it was only for like a weekend or a week but it was something like 5,000 Coors Lights he picked up the tab for which was kind of neat I saw that Coors Light is kind of I guess you'd think you'd do something local but then there's I don't think there's any there's no big breweries out there that's like that so 
it would get expensive if you were doing like a craft. Yeah. But I did see that. Yeah. For I mean, Les just sure. the best. He is. Great guy. Alrighty, diving into some listener questions here. Our first one we have is from DJ Lack, who uh, asks if the Red Sox are to sign Michael Brantley, where would you rather have him play? Uh, I could see putting him in right field, move Verdugo to center, or the opposite. Both would work, I think. What's the opposite? Um, Brantley in center, Verdugo in right. Mm. I don't I know mean, about that one. Brantley. I don't want Brantley playing anywhere other than left field or DH um, if they were to sign Brantley. So I have said before um, that I think in a vacuum it makes more sense to move for Dugo to center than Benintendi to center. Uh, but the issue is it's hard finding a guy that you want to play right field at Fenway. I certainly don't think Brantley is that guy. Um, so I, I, I think Brantley makes the most sense for the Red Sox if they trade Benintendi. Um, but if we're assuming they sign Brantley and then that's the only move they make in the outfield, I think you'd have to put Benintendi in center field, which I think the defense, the outfield defense at that point would be pretty rough. But, I mean, the offense would obviously improve Brantley. Yeah, I agree with that. Brantley, I think we're the only... Fenway is just too weird. I think the only place you can blame is left. Yeah, I mean, and once then, you get to, like, Yankee Stadium and stuff like that, we've seen them do it with J.D. Martinez. Then you can throw him um, in right field, places with smaller outfields. But, yeah, Fenway, Brantley's past his prime. This isn't Cleveland, Michael Brantley anymore. Yep. Mike Toomey asks, why not sign Ozuna? No qualifying offer attached to him can play left field, provide middle-of-the-order protection for JDM or security if you can move him. You're right. Yep, yeah, I agree. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I think it just it comes down to the same thing with Brantley. You're really hitting your outfield defense pretty tremendously. Um, and I, this is something I keep meaning to look into a little bit more. When did Ozuna become just the total liability in the field? I feel like that he's not that bad am i totally off base like it people it feels like people talk about him like he's jd martinez i feel like you could stick him in left field and it would be fine yeah i think you could too it's just weird Um, but again this is more about who you put in center field that's that to me is the barrier to ozuna more than anything else apparently it's a new thing according to fan graphs he really hasn't been a defensive liability except for this season this 2020 I feel like that I was feel the ML last off. year, though. Too like when he was, was in it? the when he was in the um, market last season. I feel like people were saying that. I mean, look, he's not. I think he won a Gold Glove at some point in his career, and I don't. That probably wasn't deserved, but it just. I I haven't watched enough uh, Marcelo Zuna to uh, sit here and say anything with any authority. It just seems like it sort of came out of nowhere, and I'm I'm not sure. I totally buy it. Especially at Fenway. I think he'd be fine playing left, yeah. Anybody can play left field at Fenway, except for Blake Swihart and Hanley Ramirez. But just avoid the walls. <laughs> uh, Seth Day with our next question. What are your views on the Pawtucket Red Sox moving to Worcester 
and what impact it will have on the fan base in Pawtucket. It sucks, man. This sort of got slipped under the rug uh, this past year because there's no minor league baseball, but not only is Pawtucket robbed of their baseball team because they didn't want to pay um, a ton of money for a ton of public money for a new stadium when they already have one that's functional. Um, they didn't get to really say goodbye either, which just totally sucks. I mean, Pawtucket is, I've only been there a few times, but it is a cool place. I mean, that's part of their identity and it just, um, I mean, it's cool for people in Worcester, but it sucks. And I mean, we're seeing this with other places around baseball. I mean, there's going to be a whole shuffle. I don't know what the, the Red Sox minor league system may not even look like it does today. By the time the season starts, the Yankees just had a big shuffle and that was a big thing. At least the Red Sox handled it better than the Yankees. But I mean, as far as the fans in Pawtucket, um, I'm sure a lot of them will stu- still root for the Red Sox because it's still the closest game in town. But um, I wouldn't blame any of them if there's hard feelings, especially because uh, Pawtucket's ownership group, led by Larry Lucchino, is the richest ownership group in all of minor league baseball. At least that was true um, a couple of years ago when this move first went through. So that's just a little extra salt in the wound. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it sucks. Pawtucket's been there forever. I hope they find a new affiliate, but it won't be the same as uh, being the affiliate for the team right next door. Yeah, definitely agree. And I am worried about the state. Uh, at least I believe uh, in that original proposal um, from like back in January or February or whatever that was that my, my, uh, my hometown Portland Sea Dogs were not on the chopping block, but I have so still... many great memories. What's that? Oh, sorry, those Sea Dogs are sticking around as far as I know. Great. Minor League Baseball is just so great. It's so much fun and it's great for the communities that they're in. It's just such a bummer that these uh, they're just kind of being completely swept under the rug. Yeah, the spinners are probably gone unless they get the spinners i i don't think anything's been announced yet but as far as i know they're turning the new york pen league into a a college summer league um which just sucks and so and the spinners can't really get a new affiliate at a higher level because part of their deal um with the city of lowell is that umass lowell has to be able to use it too and that worked out because they were a short season team so they didn't start playing until the college season was over um and so they can't really become like a full-time affiliate so the spinners is where i grew up going to games um and yeah i mean like you said just everything that's going on with minor league baseball is just just totally and sincerely disheartening um in a way that i mean we complain mostly me, I complain a lot about a lot of stuff on this podcast with <laughs> Major League roster, and I mean, God knows we've talked about the Mookie Betts trade enough, and I mean, that stuff all sucks, but the minor league thing really hurts on a different level. Like you said, it's just such a better experience. I haven't been to a Major League game in, I don't even know how long, it's probably been like five years, um, but when minor league baseball is happening, I mean, I live, I have a five-minute walk from Hadlock with the Sea Dogs. Um, before I moved here, I was a 15 minute drive from the Spinners. Um, I went to minor league games. 
I don't know, at least once every other week, if not more often. And it's just, it's cheap, it's fun, it's accessible. Um, it's in these places, especially the leagues that they're getting rid of are in areas of the country that don't have any other professional sports and it gets kids into baseball at a young age. It just, it's really, it makes me incredibly angry on a level that, um, not like of, of all the other stuff to complain about it. They don't even come close to what they're doing to minor league baseball. Yeah. I mean, you really hit on it. And Manfred likes to co- complain about how, uh, young folks aren't getting into baseball at the rates that they were. And if you take away their minor league teams, that's just going to be exponential at that point, which is so disappointing. And that's, I mean, minor league baseball is catered to kids in a way that major league really can't. But I mean, and you've been to sea dogs games. They do, the games between innings and the further down the ladder you go, they're sort of more uh, catered toward kids so that they're, so the fact that they're chopping those leagues, like the spinners are basically, it's basically the entire experience is made for kids like eight and under. Um, And so like getting rid of those leagues and just cutting down on those experiences, it's, it's going to hurt them in the long term. I know, I know that they don't care about it. It's extremely care that they're in it for the short-term profits but the sport as a whole is going to suffer because of these decisions not only does it get young kids interested in baseball it uh teaches them good habits like throwing away your trash into a trash monster who wears jorts exactly (laughs) trash monsters are great oh man i really hope there's sea dogs again next year i miss i miss my i miss my trash monster Agreed. Our last question, uh, we actually kind of hit on this, but we'll uh, put a bow on it here. Uh, Get on base asks, when Sale and Erod return, where do you see Tanner Houck fitting into the starting rotation? Um, I think he's there. Um, well, Nathan Avaldi's probably hurt at this point. <laughs> Good when point. Sale returns. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, by the time Sale comes back, I'm not expecting Sale back until like June at the very earliest. So even yeah. even if Houck doesn't start, the season in the rotation, I think he would be in the rotation at that point, and they would be giving him that audition. Um, he may be back in the bullpen by the end of the year, but around that sort of early summer point, I think is when Hauk is going to be getting that real chance to stick long term. Yep, I agree with that. All right, uh, that does it for our pod. A lot of talk about the pitching, which. Um, Hopefully we have, well, actually, no, that's not going to happen. There's, we're still way too early in the offseason for anything to actually have happened. But uh, maybe we'll get some stuff to talk about here soon. So I'm sure we'll have a review of the press conference tomorrow um, on OverTheMonster.com or other places you can get our content. But uh, follow uh, us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Matt and all of the fun Over the Monster stuff at OverTheMonster. Follow myself at the Spoken Keats. Um what do, what do we got going on this week that people should check out? Uh, nothing nothing too out of the ordinary. Uh, still going on with the player reviews. Uh, J.D. Martinez will be up uh, today when you're listening to this. Uh, we'll start hitting on some more. I know I said we did the whole, we did the uh, broad view of different position markets. We'll start hitting on more specific players over the next few weeks as the off season kind of goes. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. It's that time of year. It sure is. All right, thanks for listening, uh, and uh, hope you join us next week. Thanks.